Hello, tentative listener. We're looking for well-rounded designers to join our teams in Austin, Boston, London, Raleigh-Durham, New York, and San Francisco, who are interested in growing their design and consulting skill set over time. As a designer at ThoughtBot, you collaborate with developers and clients to turn ideas into great products that people love to use and help grow successful businesses. ThoughtBot works with companies in every step of the process to help identify and solve problems. We lead and participate in product design sprints, build high-quality apps, and then deploy them. We use emerging and effective technologies and methods on both internal and client projects. We believe there is a better way to work, and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible. Visit thoughtbot.com jobs to learn more about working at ThoughtBot and to apply. Hello, tentative listener. I wanted to let you know that we'll be taking a little break for the holidays. We'll be off for our next regularly scheduled episode, but we'll be back with Jacqueline in 2020. Thank you all so much for listening this year. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season and can't wait to catch up with you in the new year. We should introduce you. I've been having people introduce themselves, but if you would like me to, I can introduce you. I can give it a shot, I guess. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm Miles. I'm a designer at ThoughtBot. I've been working here one year this month, so that's cool. And I'm originally from New Haven, Connecticut. Big shout to New Haven. And I previously worked as a mobile developer, and I wasn't so amazing at that, and then transitioned into more product design and then came to London to study more about design and then ended up at ThoughtBot. Yeah. One thing you missed is you were in our London studio. People might be able to pick up on, you have a slight, I would say, British accent. It's Uh-oh. interesting. <laughs> Uh-oh. Do you not want yeah. the British accent? <laughs> no, I think because I had a Southern accent until I was six, like pretty heavy. And then when we moved north, it kind of started to erode and then ended up in this flat space. And now the British accent's like trying to take over and I'm watching American TV shows, just practicing my pronunciation, make sure I keep it, (laughs) keep the right balance. Are there specific TV shows, specific American accents that you're paying attention to? No, unfortunately, I watch like a lot of bad crime dramas. So probably (laughs) I can do like a really good American accent about some crime (laughs) or something like that, but not like anything I actually talk about on a day-to-day basis. My son, who is now six, has a Boston accent, but he was born after we moved out of Boston, and me and my wife think it's the most funny thing ever. <laughs> I don't know how, how like, accents are such a, f- a funny thing to begin with. So one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this podcast was because you have an interest in sales and selling design. Mm-hmm. Usually when sort of that topic comes up, I think, well, American designers sort of have the perception of, like, the sleazy salesman. There's a aversion to the word sales, even though it's almost what we do on a daily basis from actual mm-hmm. visual design to convincing others of our work. So I guess what made you gravitate towards doing sales and, and sort of leveling up in that skill set? Well, I think when I came to ThoughtBot, I mean, there are quite a lot of things that I felt I needed to learn to be a successful designer. And sales for me was by far the scariest thing. And because it was the scariest, I thought I should probably try and learn this one 
as soon as possible because I can survive the other things that maybe I want to improve on, which like one thing like, okay, I really wanted to improve on front end things when I came here, but I felt like, okay, I can pass that one, but the sales one I can't do. So I was really fortunate that the managing director here let me basically just shadow. And I just started like shadowing on the video call introduction things and just trying to feel more confident talking to clients in that way. Nice. Did those like intro calls make you feel more comfortable? I feel like for me, like those just those those reps of having call after call after call, at least in the concrete sales aspect of our company, like just doing it over and over was the most helpful thing. Yeah, for sure. I can say like embarrassingly, it probably was the first seven calls. I didn't say anything other than hello. I'm Miles, I'm a designer here, and thanks for your time, see you later. (laughs) So I really struggled to find moments to join the conversation in a way that wasn't going to like interrupt or derail. A lot of it, I think, was like learning about the questions that you ask, because that's an easier way in than trying to, you know, if I'm new at ThoughtBot, I can't necessarily sell the ThoughtBot brand from day one, but what I can do is ask interesting questions to the client about their problem. So I think I then kind of transitioned into being the person that would just like try and write down one or two questions that I could ask the client. And then it has grown to a little bit more conversation. It's still not, you know, leading the meeting, but it's now a bit more of a back and forth. And I feel that I can talk more about our design process and why I think it's a good thing. (laughs) One of the things that I found with those questions was like, they were always similar things to what I would ask during like a understand phase or a kickoff phase. Have you found that to be true too? Yeah, I think so. It's a fine line because you want to ask the question, but you don't necessarily want to get a solution. You just kind of want to just tell the client, like you don't know the answer, but you have a process for finding the answer. So it's kind of like outlining, okay, well, The questions hopefully help highlight what it is exactly that you want to solve, but they don't give you the solution, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the questions are always leading to the problem that we're trying to solve, which is like just reframing exactly what you just said. And sort of our process has much more in the last few years been like, let's solve this as a team together. Sometimes the sales calls are like, they come to us with a solution it's like, oh, that's great, but what are you trying? What are you solving here? Like, what's the main problem? Yeah, I've had one semi recently, and they had like a UX deck that was sent over ahead of time. So that was like a little bit of a tough one because you don't necessarily want to be judging someone's work, especially if you haven't had time to thoroughly examine the deck. But I think then in that case, it's more about getting them on board with this idea that that's a great place to start, but maybe it's not finished. I think it's like a good way to do that. One of the things that I've done in those cases is say, hey, this is really great and it's a great start, but we need to have a more fuller understanding of like why you're headed in this direction. And we also need to make sure that this direction is validated before we spend time and energy and your money like heading in this direction. Yeah. I think also one thing I learned since being here is it's also like a good time to introduce the client to our process. Like we're really asking the client to join our team rather than them sending us off to go do something and then just show up months later. So I think I've seen in our sales calls, like like you say, like the understand phase, like already trying to work together to 
understand the problem and then hopefully that gives them like an idea of what it's like to work with us. Yeah, I, I think that's really important too from our perspective because it gives us an idea of what they'll like to work with to have sort of that continuous improvement mindset. And so like if they do have like hard pushback when I say, hey, like let's dial this back and get an understanding and then let's make sure that this is the right thing to build. It's always interesting to see reactions of like, well, I already know this is the right thing to build just because I know. Yeah. <laughs> so like that perspective or the like, oh, that sounds great perspective of like, let's make sure that we're building the right thing. And that always is like a leading indicator of like, okay, for us, that first person's not going to be someone that, that we're going to work well with. And they're better off just probably finding someone a lot less expensive and someone that will be happy just sort of executing on what they've already decided is the solution as opposed to working together to figure out what the right solution is. Yeah. I'm also thinking about the other side of the spectrum. Like in the summer, I had a project where it was really like, we have a bunch of problems. We don't know what to do. <laughs> and that can also, I think, be challenging. I'm not sure if you have some suggestions of how to deal with that as well. Usually my suggestion to that is to offer to do research to figure out which is the biggest problem. Because, yeah, usually going into something like that where they have a handful of things and they want us to tackle one of them, it's like, okay, which which one's the most important? And it's like, I can't answer that for you. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk to either users or potential, like whoever makes the most sense to talk to and get a fuller understanding of those problems before tackling them. And then just mm -hmm. sort of like prioritize based off of that, like those conversations. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, since you've started involving yourself in sales, like, how has that impacted your actual consulting as well? I think it's helped me frame projects better in the beginning. Even if I wasn't on the sales call, I have a better understanding of how the project has landed on my desk and, like, who the project may have touched on its way. And then at the end of a project, I have an understanding of where the project might go from here, or maybe I have an idea for a suggestion of, oh yeah, it would make sense if we might extend this. And then that's something I can share with our managing director. So I think it's just given me maybe a little bit of a higher level perspective on the work I'm doing, which is a challenge because you don't want, you know, as a designer, I don't want too much of a perspective because then I'll lose track on the design work I'm supposed to be delivering. But do you think enough to give suggestions to the managing director I think for for me, one of the things that it's impacted is like that higher level understanding of business objectives from sales calls and from like me prodding if I haven't been a part of that process has led mm -hmm. to having better discussions around the design itself. So like I'm able to mm -hmm. say like this visual design or this user experience is designed in a way so that we are addressing this business problem or this business opportunity. And there's mm -hmm. like a one-to-one -one mapping there. And a lot of that is sort of me selling the direction. Usually that's, for me, the biggest impact is being able to have a much more broader perspective, I guess, of both like the business goals and best user experience and trying to meld those together and being able to convince teammates and clients about sort of the direction that we're headed. Yeah, I think it gives you confidence. Like I'm currently on a project where I was part of the very first sales contact. 
And that gives me a bit more confidence making suggestions about where to go from here because I have a really good understanding of where they started. And that's something that I think is hard to get if you don't participate. And it's also hard to prioritize or make sure that design remains a priority at the same level as like the technical implementation to like have your voice in the room as well. Yeah, I, I think that is really important. For me, it's to have both perspectives. And mm -hmm. this is, again, we have all of those perspectives in our design sprints because of this as well. Like someone technical is going to root out different problems with solutions or issues and might have a different way of thinking than a designer. And a designer is going to have a different way of thinking than the business person. And the business person is going to have a totally different way of thinking than like a customer success person. And so having all of those people in the room as early as possible is really important. I think also... The word design is, at least we've been talking in London about how like the word design is so big that <laughs> if you have a meeting, there may be an expectation of design and every person in the meeting may have a different expectation of what it is. Whereas yeah. if you talk about development, often we'll have a client that would be like, I don't know and I don't care. I just want <laughs> the thing to be built the way I want it. But with design, they'll say, no, I have, I have an opinion because it's a much easier entry and the language that we use with design, like visual things, oh, okay, this is pretty, this is quote unquote modern or whatever, is a bit easier to latch onto. So I think in the meetings, it's also about like really defining what we mean by design and linking it together with development. So it's actually, we're really just selling one thing. You can't have just the development and then do design at the end. And you can't really have just the design and no implementation. It's kind of all one I wholeheartedly agree with that. I have sometimes have to do that with designers when they talk about design, just like defining, okay, what piece of design are you thinking about here? Because I think there is usually a tendency to like gravitate towards visual, especially here at Thapa, we define design as much more broader than, than that. It's a cool thing as well, because you might be on a project where you're doing more experienced design, you might be on a project where you're doing more visual design or where you're doing front-end implementation. So it gives you this really generalist approach, which is then fun because I guess you know, like for me in a year, I'm still trying out processes to see if like, how can I knit these things together? But I really enjoy that actually. I've always enjoyed the like inconsistency of all of those things and how they work together yeah. and how they work together on different projects. Because I think Every time I've started a new project, it's sort of like I have this skill set and I have a general idea of how I'm going to use that skill set, but mm -hmm. I don't know how, exactly how it's going to play out for this particular project with these constraints. I like that sometimes I won't do any front-end work for two months and then I'll just be like inundated, but I, it gets my brain working in a different way. Even if you're on the same client, you could be on the same client for a long time, but you're working across these different disciplines is giving, I don't know, it gives me a lot to think about and gives my brain like a bunch of different types of problem solving, which keeps everything interesting. I've always enjoyed those sort of shifts either between projects or within the same project of sort of going from user experience design and product design first, like figuring out whether we're building the right thing into having a priority of user experience into a having a priority of visual design into having a priority of front end but sort of like even though each one of those is a priority like how each of the other skill sets sort of 
informs how I do those things too is is yeah interesting. Yeah, definitely. I guess what we're saying is journalists are just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think in general, like Thoughtbot itself has a lot of generalists, a lot of, I call them just curious people, people who are looking to always continue to learn and continue to improve. And I think those types of people are, I guess there are two choices you can make. You can like dig really deep into one thing as continuous improvement or like go broad. I think a lot mm-hmm. of uh, people at Thoughtbot tend to go broad on their education, I guess. Yeah. But I think like in London, we're all quite equally weighted in this broad approach. But then each one of us, I think, has a bit more of an interest. Mm-hmm. And then that interest obviously would lead to more experience, maybe more thought, more outside stimulation to continue to improve that. So whether it be visual design, workshops, front end, et cetera. So that's like a really nice support system to be able to talk to someone who maybe you think, yeah, they're have a good eye on visual design, but they still have that full understanding of the problem that you're trying to solve. So I think that's also like a good way. It's been a good situation for me, at least. <laughs> I don't know about the other designers, I guess. I think that's tended to happen across all of ThoughtBot, especially with the design team. For me, I, I really enjoy too seeing people's interests shift as well. So seeing someone who has a very like a visual design interest focus and how they want to improve and how they want to approach projects and sort of seeing a shift from that to product thinking or user experience. I feel like over time, those shifts happen as well. So them going from like being maybe the go-to person for visual design to sort of like a more go-to person for user experience or something else. I think one more thing I would mention, like just going back to the sales that I was thinking about is also, I think because the number of items that you ask to do as a designer, I thought about can be so diverse. I think it's also good because sometimes you have clients that really want, you know, we don't give fixed estimates, but they might want something as a little bit more concrete. And I think it's good to be a designer in there to kind of soften those lines because you might have a client that's thinking, okay, well, can't you just do the research in three days? And I think it's good to have a designer in there to kind of ask some of those questions so that the client understands hey, this actually isn't as simple as I thought it was. And it then gives you space after that meeting to actually come up with a plan rather than having to have the plan right there, right now, (laughs) because then the client's expectations are going to be set in a way that might make it hard for you to be successful. But that was something I was just thinking about from a meeting we had last week. I think those kinds of conversations are always really interesting and like sort of like, the way that I've started to frame how I approach those, I guess maybe has like evolved slightly and, and maybe because of the sales process. But even when mm-hmm. talking to a client that I've been working with for a while, it's when they ask like, oh, can we maybe cut corners here or like shrink the timeline here or maybe like expand the timeline in a certain place. So there have been cases where sort of the reverse of that, but like, going over what some of the trade-offs and risks are of each choice. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we can cut the research phase in half, but the trade-offs there, you know, like we're going to have less of an understanding. So we might be like doubling the building time 
if we're not right on the first solution. So like there are more inherent risk in what we're building and potentially bigger trade-off Yeah, and sort of like framing it in that way. And I think instead of me like pushing a particular path, I've been more pushing like, okay, if you choose that, here are the trade-offs that you're making. And personally, like I'm very risk adverse and I wouldn't go down that path. But if you want to take on that risk, let's sort of like figure out a plan to make it as as risk adverse as possible within those constraints. Is it okay to ask a question on here? Nope. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the project now and it's something that I was going to ask you anyway. So maybe some thoughts you have about project extensions, because it's like the sales cycles restarting a little bit. But do you have some advice like in those meetings, like how to prioritize? Like, are you setting it as a new project, new phase, or is it an in-between? Or <laughs> I think the best answer here is it totally depends. And I have a lot of context around your project, mm-hmm. which might be a little unfair to listeners. So like one of the interesting constraints around your recent extension or lack thereof is your main stakeholder at the company has left and no one else has sort of been involved in the process. And the person that now is the main stakeholder is asking questions that sort of lead me to believe that they're looking for not really a flexible and agile process. They're looking for something that's like much more waterfall. And so like we almost have to, I think, approach that as a whole new sale because we're essentially Mm -hmm. convincing someone new of the process and of the value of, of sort of that process, which is like, for me, totally different than convincing someone that we've been working with for a while on an extension that has already bought in and hopefully has seen the value of that process. Mm-hmm. So presumably like a standard project, you know, you still have your stakeholder and everything, then it's less of a sale than, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's it's usually more of a conversation and it's a similar conversation at the start of like, what is the business value that you want to deliver with this extension? And mm-hmm. sometimes giving estimates of how we're going to get there, but it's less repeating like, oh, this is the ThoughtBot process. You know, we want to make sure that we have a full understanding of the problems before we, you know, attempt to solve them as a team. We should be solving problems as a team. Like it shouldn't be solely on any designer or developer developer or business person and like all the way down the line, I guess, and having a structure, but like not, not adhering to that structure piece by piece by piece. Yeah, that makes sense. I think like we don't have to repeat that process because they ideally been working with us for a month or two months or three months. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they're asking for the extension is because they've seen the value in that as opposed to... Mm -hmm. The situation that I feel like your project is in now is is we have to go back and explain that value. And while we can like refer back to work that's been done and the process that has been done, they haven't actually seen it and been a part of it. And so because of that, they're still sort of an outsider looking in. And it's almost like we're showing them a case study as opposed to them seeing the work being done firsthand. Yeah, yeah. That's super accurate. Thank you. (laughs) That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, is essentially like a case study that they're just really familiar with as opposed to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> them working directly with us and seeing the process as it goes along. So it's, it's definitely like a <laughs> different mental state, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it kind of 
ties into what you said earlier, which is just the process is like really what we're selling. And then as a designer, it's like just trying to define that process to the client. Yeah. And the difficult challenge, you know, I know you're going to be facing is the person that is asking more about deliverables than process, which again, like it's easy to fall back on, on that kind of a thing. It's like, okay, we paid a lot of money to these people. What have we gotten out of it? When a lot of it is around process. And usually I think on a lot of projects we're moving really quickly. And so we're not always taking the time to document things really well. And we're falling Mm -hmm. back onto things that we are using in our process. So things like Trello and GitHub and any history that we have using Figma or abstract. Abstract. Yeah. We expect essentially like those to create artifacts for us as opposed to us really fully documenting artifacts along the way. Mm-hmm. And so like in this case, that probably hurts us because they're coming from the outside looking in. But like if they're there the whole time, they can see like, oh, it's probably not worthwhile for them to spend time creating all of this documentation around this. And instead we'd rather them like push forward. Yeah. I think one other thing that was disappointing about the stakeholder leaving is that there was quite a lot of effort put because this was a non-technical stakeholder with their first technical project to manage. So we spent a lot of time upskilling them and working with them. And I really enjoyed that. That was actually one of my favorite parts about the project was like the learning that we were doing from each other about the product, but then them from us more about managing a product as a job. So I think that's also a tough one because that's hard to quantify that value once the team member is not on your team. (laughs) You're just like, okay, well, that's great, but (laughs) it's not transferable. So So that was something I was really proud of on that project, but obviously something lost. (laughs) It is amazing like how nice that is once you've gotten into a good groove with someone too. And I've I've enjoyed getting non-technical people into what would normally be a product manager and sort of like Mm -hmm. training them how I would want them to product manage (laughs) and getting a really good relationship. And then, yeah, I can see how disheartening that would be to like have someone come in or have them leave and like all of that work they're carrying with them to another company or somewhere else. And there's nothing for you to show at the current client. It's just like, well, (laughs) I spent like hours and hours of my time working through like how to product manage and how to do it well and how to communicate to the team and how we can communicate best back. And all of that work is sort of invisible to begin with. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't have a good solution other than to just like (laughs) take pride in the work that you did and know that someone else will benefit down the line from your hard work at a different company. We're actually at about time to sort of wrap things up. So I've been asking everyone that joins if there's anything that you want to promote or if there's any like the best way for people to get in touch. Yeah, please go vote. (laughs) (laughs) Can I put that on there? Yeah. Oh, my dog is is joining the podcast as well this time. Yeah, he or she once is like really down with the get out and vote. She is. She's very in favor of voting. At any rate, thank you for for joining. This has been Tentative Episode 81. You can check out the show notes at tentative.fm slash 81. 
you can tweet at us at tentative FM and let us know if you enjoyed the show. Let us know how you're doing sales at your company for design, how you're selling design at your product because sales has to happen in, in those situations too. You can email us hosts at tentative.fm. Feel free to rate us on iTunes. And I think that's it. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, come discover a better way to work.